All right, this is the New Glarus Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey, and uh, we have, again, we have two guests this week. We have uh, Dan Carey, of course, and returning is uh, Samantha Bennett. How are you doing, uh, Sam and Dan? Doing well, thank you. Doing good. It smells good in here today. It really does. When I was walking in, I was like, it, it has a nice sort of vegetal smell yeah, <laughs> in well, here today. Good, good brew house, good batch of beer being cooked. It uh, makes the brew, brewery smell nice. One of my favorite things when walking into uh, to Hilltop is every once in a while, I'll be walking up that staircase sort of past the, the outside wall where oh, the, yeah, the brew yeah. hall is. And it'll smell like the best sort of cereal you could ever want yeah. to have. It's that's a little a, different every a, time. <laughs> there's a fan there that's... Uh, blowing out from the brew house basement. So you're getting a lot of hop aromas too. Yep. I absolutely love it. It, it, it brightens my morning every time I smell it when I'm walking, yeah. walking past there. We're lucky to have visitors come and try to guess what the smell is too. I've heard spaghetti and pizza and all of these really interesting um, interpretations on it. it. Smells like cookies to me, baking cookies. For me, it's always grape nuts. Like that smells like grape nuts to me. Yeah. yeah. So um, today I think we're going to start tackling, we're going to tackle sort of the broad subject of hops and uh, sort of the impetus for this is uh, you two uh, were able to make it out to Northern California for an annual hop convention, which is my guess would be, which is always a good, good time. So, but we want to sort of open up uh, the episode with a broader discussion about hops and the varieties that are sort of out there and what you guys are seeing just in, in the world of hops uh, these days. So I guess we can start with, with Dan what are some of what are some of the, your go to hops that that you sort of find yourself seeking out most? Well, uh, I'm old school, so I like Cascade. I like uh, I like uh, my favorite hop in the world is probably Saz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spalt Spalter is another good one. Um, I like a lot of the German hops, so I'll use um, uh, Spalt Select or Harrisbrucker. Um, Saphir is another good one. Um, and there's a lot of nice experimental U.S. varieties out now. We use a lot of Amarillo in uh, in, in Moonman, mm-hmm. Bravo. Um, so we use a lot of different hops. And Sam, for you, and, and for those who have listened to all the episodes, you might remember Sam was uh, on the episode The Science of Flavor and has the distinction of all of our guests, uh, all of our guests on the podcast, besides Dan, of having the most downloads on that episode. So I know you made Scott <laughs> Knoll very jealous with that. But for for you, as sort of a flavor scientist, what is your take on how you sort of interpret hops and how they sort of work in, in beer? Because it is like, it is a big flavor and can impart a lot of, you know, it can impart a dryness, it can impart a bitterness. Uh, how do you sort of ex- explore the hop when you're thinking about it? Yeah, well, I think about it a lot like cooking. You know, hops are spices for beer. So um, as you know, like if you're cooking, um, your usage rate matters hugely for the impact that your flavors are going to have. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's about finding not only the best uh, varieties of hops, but understanding what those hops deliver from an aroma perspective at all of their different usage rates and then mm-hmm. how they play together in a beer to make the flavor that we're looking for. So um, it can be pretty intense. <laughs> you know, we're working on a new beer right now and we think we've got it. And then we're like, Ooh, what if we tried this variety with that kind of accent, um, in a way that complements the others that we've kind of already identified as being something we're looking for. So, um, but for me, um, as someone who comes from outside the industry and are learning about beer making, um, it's been really fun for me to sort of realize that, um, the variety matters certainly, mm-hmm. but, 
uh, crop year matters <laughs> and um, how those uh, different varieties play together ultimately matters most in how a beer is going to come out. And and that's a that brings up an interesting point and a good question. And and Dan, when you're considering these hops like you know Saz or or the other that you mentioned that would go into Moonman. How do you deal with sort of year-to-year crop variety or even farm-to-farm crop variety? Because one person's sauce hops might not necessarily be the same as another person's. Yeah, that's 100% true. Uh, the If you looked at the bell-shaped curve of the impact or the quality or the manifestation of a variety uh, as a bell-shaped curve, there's an overlap of varieties. So sometimes um it's more about the impact than it is the actual name that's on the bale or on the box of mm-hmm. hops so um the way that we deal with that is is we have to understand what we want what our expectations are for a given variety so we'll, we'll write down verbiage on what that hop should taste like so um for example for for um a yakima Chinook, we would look for something that's pine forward. For a Wisconsin Chinook, which is one of our favorites, we want it to be very fruit forward, and we look for those. And then, of course, couple that with the absence of off flavors, because growing and drying of hops is uh, uh, not easy, and so you first and foremost want no off flavors. And so we go out to farms or brokers and look at different, what are called different lots of hops. I always think of it like being a chef going in the morning to a market and looking at vegetables and fruits in an early morning market and picking what suits you. And the funny thing is, is that brewers all, well, most brewers do this, uh, go to hop, what's called a hop selection. And what we pick may be different than what somebody else picks. So that's the art of what, um, uh, what works for for your expectations and what you want the hops to do in your beer? And Sam, since you're sort of in the lab with these uh, things and on um, you know uh, the sensory panel and all and all that stuff, do you find yourself when you know you sort of had these these lots coming in uh, where you're having to deal with an expectation that might not been necessarily met by what you got, or you're just not finding that it's performing the way you guys thought it would? That sort of thing. Yeah, you know, when we go out to select, we have our criteria. And so you hope you never get into a position where once you receive hops, they're different from what you were expecting based on your selection. Um, But certainly it happens. And that's where we're kind of, um, you know, we talk a lot about quality circles on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, if we were to identify something different than what we expected, we'd pull together a quality circle. We'd be talking about the other varieties that we're using in that beer and trying to understand how we can make up a deficiency um, with the other raw materials that we have available to us. So um, I've... uh, you know, selection is expensive. We send a team of people out there to do that. And for the most part, we're going to have a pretty good idea of what we're going to get out of that. Um, so the return on investment is good. So at the, it's sort of at this point, it's become sort of a well-oiled machine for you for you guys between selection and, and performance and all of that good stuff. I would say so. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the other secret uh, as, uh, would be to, if you find a really good lot of hops, buy more of it. Um, because in some ways it's always good to carry um, at least six months or an extra year of inventory. So that way, for example, if we 
find a really spectacular lot of Cascade and we're like, wow, this is head and shoulders above all the other ones on the table. Buy, buy twice as much as you need um, because you don't know what next year is going to bring. And then you can have the luxury of saying, you know what, I think we'll skip this year um, and push our contract to the next year. Well, that is very interesting. And that's that's sort of an aspect of it I don't think I would have ever ever thought about because you know, when you're thinking about raw ingredients, sometimes you think, oh, well, how's it going to hold stabilized? But with hops, we're talking about something that's picked, dried, and sort of preserved in that way. So what is the, the shelf life, I, I would say, on a, on a dried hop or a lot of well, hops? Well, one thing that we've done is we've invested in a, uh, in a fairly large freezer that's kept between, I don't know, between zero and six degrees Fahrenheit. Sorry. That's quite all right. I thought I had turned that off. Well, it turns out I think you're yeah, fairly guy phones because they don't know how to run them. <laughs> well, you are a very fairly busy guy, and this is yeah. the first phone ring we've had, so yeah. I, I think we're doing pretty well. Uh-huh. Um, so we have a sorry about that, but we have a freezer, and uh, we keep it between zero and four or five degrees Fahrenheit, and um, the hops will uh, it, it's it's they'll probably five year shelf life as pellets mm-hmm. uh, as pellets. We also have whole cone hops, but we use. That, that are that old, but we use those in, say, our, our Lambic-style beers, and we want them purposefully aged. But a, a well-packaged hops that are in foil bags that are not leaking, that are impervious to oxygen, that don't have a leak, will last five years. Oh, wow. That's that's definitely something I would have never, never would have, never would have guessed. That's, that's really cool. So you'd mentioned Moon Man before, and you have uh, another really hop-forward beer that sort of uh, comes around every year in, in Scream. And uh, just, I, I'm sort of uh, a layman when it comes to the varieties of hops. So can, uh, and Sam, maybe we talk to you a little bit about this. Can you, can you run us a little bit between sort of the different flavor profiles of those two beers and how the hops sort of impact that? Because while, while Scream is very, is more of an assertive beer, certainly more citrusy beer, and Moon Man's, um, a, a, you know, a little more uh, piney, a little, uh, a little more subdued. Uh, how that plays out on the uh, on sort of the front end when you're when you're sourcing those ingredients? Yeah. So for um, both beers, you know, we're thinking about the drinkability of the beer. Um, Scream, of course, is a higher ABV um, and has more things going on with it. But we're still thinking about okay, even if we want a more assertive hop profile, something more resinous, um, we still want that to translate into something that someone could um, enjoy with dinner, you know, and sit down and enjoy with their friends. So. Um, some breweries uh, approach hops uh, looking for um, very intense um, aroma, and we're thinking more about how to make something sessionable, even if it's you know a double IPA. Um, so for Scream, I do think we're gravitating toward more hop varieties that are providing um, a resinous aroma in addition to fruit flavor. And the lucky thing about hops is those things can go hand in hand, so mm-hmm. the same variety can deliver um, those two things at different usage rates. Um, and then for Moon Man, you know, we're looking for a lot of the same things, but um, like you say, in a more um, subtle um, way. So um, I don't know how much we want to talk about our variety of selections, but um, we're always thinking about what's going to make a really impactful but drinkable um, beer. And that's how we um, decide what we're going to use. And and Dan, I know for for Scream, there's a certain amount of uh, estate hops that go in, and go into that beer. And one of uh, one of the things I find very interesting and just 
you know, sort of a very important thing that, that you do uh, or have taken on around here is sort of uh, planting a, like an apple orchard or a, a, a small hop garden to sort of illustrate the process of these things. Uh, can you run us through a little bit about starting your own, uh, you know, hop, little hop field and what kind of varieties uh, you chose for that and how that sort of all played out? Sure. Uh, but before I say that, I'd like to add on to what, what, uh, what Sam was talking about is, 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 is brand profiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam being a sensory scientist, when she came on, she uh, took on the project of writing a descriptor of what the beer should, each brand should taste like. What is the flavor profile? Mm-hmm. What should this beer taste like? And then she, she worked more or less with Deb to um, decide on this is what Spotted Cow tastes like, this is what Moon Man tastes like. And then that becomes our, our roadmap or our... our um, uh, our, our key to how we brew the beer and how we select hops and kind of how we steer the ship based on the goal of what the brand profile might be. Uh, and so that was something that kind of one of the first things I think you took on when you got here. So thank you for that. Um, and as far as growing hops, we've been, oh man, I think we have probably eight harvests under our belt now. The idea for putting in a small hop yard, it's more or less 0.2 acres. It's um, it's about 215 plants. Um, and um, we did it uh, because we wanted to better understand our supply chain. Growing hops is idiosyncratic and difficult. And uh, for us to be good customers, it helps to understand what goes into it so that we know the costs and we know how to communicate with the farmers. And so that was, it was education. And then oftentimes people don't know what hops are. Like I remember there was an ad, advertisement some years ago for a, for um, an internet, a, a national, nationally sold beer. And they showed, they showed a field of barley, um, beautiful field of barley near harvest. And it was kind of swaying in the wind. And they said, made from the choicest hops. And that's of course why people think that hops are a grain. Mm-hmm. Um, in part. And so putting a hop field up right on the entrance to the brewery and a sign that explains what it is, allows our customers to understand that this is a, a real agricultural product. Uh, brewers, uh, large brewers, um, who, uh, I'm, uh, frustrated that, that they did for so many years, their national advertising, Swedish bikini teams and whatever, while, while, uh, the wine, uh, people, um, worked very hard to portray themselves as an agricultural product. Whereas beer is very much an agricultural product. So uh, we, we are very close to the soil. We're very mm-hmm. close to our farmers, um, have a close relationship with them. And it's just as romantic and in-depth as, and I, I would argue more so than wine, uh, because there's a lot of uh, manipulation that goes into making wine and beer is particularly a very simple product four ingredients or maybe in the case of large brewers five ingredients but uh so so that was the idea for putting in the hop field and we loked we worked with um a local wisconsin um uh, uh company that uh was trying to figure out ways to add value to um small farms in mm-hmm. wisconsin you know i don't think it's any 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 secret that most farmers in the United States are in their fifties or sixties and there's a, uh, not a lot of young people getting into farming. So a man by the name of James Altweiss had taken it on as a, um, as a goal to try to figure out ways for young people to get into the farming business on a small scale and make money. 
it's not so easy. Yeah. And so I really wanted to support that. I, I found that um, admirable and something that I personally wanted to support. And he uh, started really kind of pushed the Wisconsin uh, hop growing business. And, and so he worked with us. He helped us uh, to design our hop field, which uh, has a trellis system. It's about $10,000 an acre to put up a trellis system to, to, cause hops, hops grow on, 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 as, as a, as a, like a vine, they mm-hmm. grow up a string, uh, uh, like, like peas. Uh, and so it's a complicated system. And, and he, uh, he helped us with that. He didn't, he didn't charge us anything for that. And because of that, we're very much indebted to, um, the Wisconsin hop growers exchange. And, and I think we're, we are the largest grower or largest, uh, purchaser of Wisconsin growing hops. Um, and then the apples came about because from time to time we make an apple beer and there was a, a local orchard that had heirloom varieties. And, um, we, um, we started, uh, we started small little trees that they gave us and we have a hundred of them. Um, because from time to time we make an apple beer. Uh, so, so apples, uh, Good cider apples are different than the culinary or eating apples. Yeah. And and you make a good point because, you know, having that, that hop field down there really does illustrate, like, this is an endeavor. There's the, the trellis system of these, like, basically telephone pole, like half telephone yeah. poles leaned, leaned against uh, each other. And it probably gave you a, a good understanding of what, you know, what it's like for a local Wisconsin farmer to have to the growing season of hops and what they can expect and the work they would put in and what they would get out of yeah, it. So diseases and insect predestation and uh, costs involved in it. Not easy. Yeah. Well, we've sort of covered the, the different varieties of hops that uh, we use here in New Glarus and in, in sort of a 10,000, uh, 10,000 foot view and sort of the hoppier beers that, that we make, but you guys also did go to this sort of state of the union for, for hops in, in America out in, uh, Northern California. So, uh, how was your experience at the hop conference? The only conferences I've ever been to have been ex- exceptionally boring <laughs> and you know, the, the PowerPoints and I'm sure there was enough. You haven't been to a brewer's convention. I, I have not had the, I have not had the, uh, the pleasure of being to a brewer's convention yet, but Dan, uh, w- what do you seek to learn when you go to these, uh, these hop conventions, uh, either yearly or, or however often you make it out there? Well, you know, Sam is the next generation of the business. So for her to go out and meet some of the old timers and get an idea of the culture and um, see how I interact with them, I think is is helpful mm-hmm. uh, as, as we move forward in the business. But for me, uh, there's really two reasons. One is, is to renew friendships with farmers and brokers mm-hmm. and other brewers. Um, the thing about business, if you do business by phone and email, uh, it, it's, it's diminished and, uh, you have to, you have to sit with somebody and have a couple of beers, uh, and to gain a level of trust and familiarity. So for me, it was nice to go see, uh, old friends. And then secondly, um, to see what's happening, uh, what's going on, what's coming, what the, what the zeitgeist is, uh, what varieties, how beer's tasting. And also there's a lot of really, um, great, uh, young brewers coming along and to see what they're up to, uh, to, to see, because there's, it's always dangerous to keep doing the same thing that you've always done. And so to go out and taste different beers is uh, eye opening. And, and how about, how about you, Sam? Was this your first top conference? Yeah, this is my first convention. And, um, for me, you know, when we go out for selection, we're dealing with, 
um, growers um, and vendors in their most stressful time of year. That is, um, hop harvest is you know a month long, and they've got brewers coming out um, every day um, to meet with them, and you know it's very um, transactional in mm-hmm. a sense, um, and kind of cold, and sometimes it can be difficult. Um, and so this was an opportunity to connect with these people, like Dan said, in a more relaxed environment, um, outside the context of actually making a selection of their babies <laughs> that we want to bring into our brewery. Yeah. Um, so where the stakes are a little bit lower and you can really get to know people as people. Um, and that's something that we really value at the brewery is um, uh working with people as people, um, not just from a business sense, but um, supporting people that we believe in what they're doing. Um, And so a lot of our growers have a lot of the same philosophies that we have here at the brewery, that is uh, quality focus, um, taking care of their people. Um, And so that's really cool to see um, for me. Yeah. And and, and to Dan's point, um, having those personal connections, you know, the, the, the sort of quote return on investment on that you can't you can't really measure because it's it's going to be that conversation over a beer it's going to be that oh hey I haven't seen you in a couple of years what have you been up to what's what's new on your farm what's new in the brokerage that sort of thing so you know fostering that sort of uh, that sort of ideology and mentality seems seems like it would be really really important as you grow as a brewery just to, to really cement those relationships you yeah, sort of in true. stone that's true. Well, unfortunately, as well, from a, um, you know, conference perspective, you know, there's a lot of talks um, and uh, farmers are dealing with a lot of the same things they've always been dealing with. That is, you know, disease resistance, Mm -hmm. um, irrigation, um, but there is so much new technology and so many better strategies for managing some of the hardships of farming. So I really liked that perspective as well, Um, just kind of seeing as a brewer, like, um, how much, uh, how far we've come in understanding how to, uh, grow food. Um, hops are a food product. Um, yeah, no, that, 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 that's really interesting. Cause as you know, as this technology, as technology advances, you know, there's an alchemy to brewing, but there's also a science to it. So they kind of work hand in hand. And when you can better understand the science, you can sort of better employ your alchemy. Would you, would you say that's true? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what is, what are some of the challenges facing hops right now? I, I'm sure that was a, a topic of, of conversation at, at the hop conference. And how, how did you come away feeling uh, from, uh, on that perspective, Dan? Well, right now there's a lot of angst because the, um, the, the craft brewing business up until the time of COVID through 2019 was going gangbusters and growing very, very quickly. And so the, um, uh, farmers have to put hops into the ground. Uh, and I said, it's ten 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 thousand uh dollars an acre. And you, you can get maybe anywhere from a thousand to 2,500 pounds per acre. So it's a very expensive for them to do that. And so they're, they're trying to gauge where the craft brewing business is going. And there was no reason with the growth of craft beer that it would, that would stop. And then um, uh, COVID hit and things got cattywampus. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is, I believe, I believe there's more or less 130 million acres of hops in the ground around the world. And um, uh, one of the uh, hop brokers, uh, uh, Alex Barth, who's a president of 
John I. Haas and Barth Company, said that he reckons that we need to be less than $100 million to balance because we're making us every year we're adding to the surplus, not we, the farmers are adding to their surplus of hops. There is no other market for hops. Hops are, you know, 99.999% uh, used in beer. So um, they're building an inventory and that's not a good situation for agricultural product. You need some carryover, but not a carryover that's 30% yeah. uh, growing. Uh, so the the question is, is uh, who, who's going to take out hops Probably what's going to happen is is some farmers are going to go out of business because uh, it's it's nobody wants to step backwards. Nobody's going to voluntarily take out um, take out acreage. So that's the biggest thing. And then secondly, the every year the cost of doing business um, some slides go up. Some like us, the slides they showed are you know ten, 10 years ago maybe it was cost the cost was four thousand dollars an acre and now it's eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars an acre um uh to to um uh to to run a hop farm, which is uh incredibly expensive. And it's and you know the war in, in Ukraine, um fuel prices mean that uh fertilizer prices are going up, pesticide prices are going up. Uh so farmers are having to figure out how to do more with less. Yeah, it's very interesting how, you know, sort of the when when you talk beer, you you are talking all of the issues of of the world because they reach out and they touch everything. You know, with yeah. with sort of a, a great routine shift. You know, that then takes a little bit for people to get back on their usual behaviors, their usual patterns, what they what they were up to, and certainly that affects farming and, and everything else. How did you come away uh, feeling from that? Yeah, a lot of the same things Dan said. You know, um, one of the other things they talked about was that uh, brewers aren't contracting as much as they used to. So mm-hmm. because there's a big slug of hops available in the market, people are buying on the spot market instead of contracting uh, with growers. And so because hops aren't a crop that you can get a crop off of in the first year, generally um, a good crop. Um, we're looking a couple years out mm-hmm. um, as a grower as to what people are going to want. And when people aren't contracting with you, that makes that really challenging. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, and like there's a corollary to like the dairy industry, right? Because when there's, you know, when dairy producers are producing too much milk, sort of there's a there's sort of a governmental backstop for that of like, oh, we've we've identified we need our dairy producers. So we, we'll buy your overage or, or whatever. Yeah, I drank a lot of powdered milk when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. But I, I take it there is no such program for 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 hop growers. No, no. And it's and, and we would argue it's as, as important a product to probably the well-being of of most most yeah. folks. I, I drink more beer than milk, but I do love milk. I do love milk too. <laughs> we we are in Wisconsin. Yeah. So that's sort of the challenging the challenging stuff that are facing hops, and like everything else, there's going to be challenges, and there's going to be exciting stuff that's happening. So in the world of hops, what's what's sort of new and exciting that you guys came away from? Are varieties you're excited in. Uh, Sam well, one Dan? of the things I thought was really interesting, um, you know, we were talking kind of the doom and gloom was that IPA as a style continues to grow. And that was surprising for a lot of beer people who thought, you know, maybe we were going to see a peak in that mm-hmm. style a couple of years ago. Um, it continues to grow and they're thinking that'll top out at about 50% of the craft beer business. Oh, wow. And we're at about 45%. So from a hop grower perspective, of course, they're excited that people are still drinking 
hop forward varieties um, and that we're still expecting that variety to grow um, or that style to grow. Um, so that was a, a kind of a sweet spot too. Yeah. And for you, Dan, oh, what, did you come away with any, any uh, things you were excited about from the conference? Um, the, the, I guess the main thing for me was, um, just kind of seeing that there is a lot of stress right now. There is a big carryover in the hop business and, uh, it, it's, it's a dangerous time. Mm -hmm. Um, there is certainly a, a continued lot of interest in experimental varieties, but I also sense that there's a little bit of fatigue, among experimental varieties, the, the breeders, because the breeders are there also. And the breeders are um, generally very personable. Um, they're scientists, but they're, uh, they're usually beer geeks, mm -hmm. and they love hoppy beers, and they love talking about beer. They love drinking beer. So they're very uh, the kind of people that you, you want to hang out with. Yeah. And um, there's gonna, probably going to be a shift away from trying to find the next hop that has a uh, citrus pineapple passion fruit character because we certainly have maybe more than a couple of those but there's a be, few yeah there'll be more moving towards um environmental uh, uh concerns like um disease resistance insects resistance drought resistance because hop growing areas all the hop growing areas but europe in particular are um starting to feel the effects of heat mm -hmm. uh and summers are hot and not a lot of moisture so the good news for american farmers is american genoplasm american varieties are more resistant to this so the europeans are starting to take american varieties to to do their breeding just like uh, uh um vintners did uh you know in the phylloxera uh, epidemic of whatever in the 1800s it's uh so I, I see there'll probably be a big change because we need, since, since it's so expensive to put up a hop field, so expensive per acre to run a hop field, the only solution is to increase your yield per acre and to minimize your inputs, minimize you, how much time you spray uh, fungicides, insecticides, fertilizers, or water. Mm -hmm. So um, trying to find hops that will that will yield a 3000 pounds per acre and need a minimal amount of passes through the field by the farmer is where efforts going to go well yeah and that makes a lot of sense like it's sort of the old Jurassic Park thing like life finds a way so when you know you have That's these definitely true yeah so when you have these concerns like you know climate change causing heat and and things like that then you know that's when sort of for no other reason than you kind of have to you start looking at innovation within your field of how, well, how do we get what we had using different varieties that maybe we can import from the States or other climates that had to have already dealt with this. So, you know, that is kind of exciting in that the experimental varieties and sort of the heritage varieties can continue to sort of exist, at least for the, you know, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah. But, you know, I have to tell you, I, I spoke to a, um, a, a hop, a farmer and a hop broker, he came and introduced himself to me and we ate, ate breakfast together and he's been doing this for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I said, you know, it's really funny because I'm, I'm really worried, but last night, and I won't get into the reason why, but I was reading the 1929, 30, um, uh, uh, Barth Haas, um, uh, uh, yearly report on the hop business every year forever they write a report about what's happening in the world yeah. and what the hop harvest looks like around the world and I was looking at the 1929 version and they were talking about uh, Czech Republic and 
the 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 writer said this is the worst harvest of my lifetime. It's uh, I, I farmers are going to have to rip out hops. It's 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 really bad. Mm-hmm. And this was you know 100 years ago. And I said this to the farmer, and I said, well, you know, this kind of makes me um, have some hope that maybe this will pass. And he said, no, no, this is bad. This is the worst. It's this is really bad. So it is. Um, you know, people don't want to hear it and they don't want to believe it. And they want to bury their head in the sand, but um, it's really climate. Our climate situation is, is bad. And even the, you know, even the farmers are saying it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is one point you can't really like the, the crops don't lie, right? They, no. they need no. a, they need a stable environment in order to thrive. And when they, they are not, there's, there's a reason for that. That's right. Well, one of the big quality challenges from the Pacific Northwest is, of course, smoke damage. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of research going on right now about um, the timing. <laughs> like, can we, um, if they're exposed during the early part of the their growth or the later part. explain what you part, mean by smoke damage. Oh, sure. Um, uh, wildfires mm-hmm. in the Pacific Northwest um, causing big clouds of smoke to cover crops. And we, we were actually seeing that um, two crop years ago, there was a particularly um, assertive amount of smoke and they were seeing a new challenge, which is that the sun was blocked out um, during critical growth um, times for the hops. So in addition to having smoke compounds um, that are aroma and flavor active depositing on hops, um, they were seeing um, poor growth um, oh, wow. in different stages of the hop development. So and this is and, and this is sort of like the, the cradle of American hops is in the Pacific Northwest, right? I wouldn't say it's the cradle, but it's definitely where hops grow now. Yeah. Cradle was really probably New York State, but that was that was a long time ago. But it, it's it's the the home of hops. It's it yeah it's the it's the transplant home to where that's right where it's happening. It's it's where the New Yorkers New York farmers went to grow hops. Well, so that's sort of the the, the state of the union uh, of hops. And uh, sorry, it's not more it's not more upbeat, but that that that's the reality of the situation on the ground. And, well, we you know, we and the cards are dealt. Let's 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 do the best we can with what we have. Yeah, and you, you sort of figure you sort of figure it out from there. And you're right. We can all we we can only work with the hand we're dealt, right? So. That being said, there were some fun times you guys probably had in California too. And, uh, and I know reconnecting with old friends and, and I, I liked something that you had said earlier, Dan, and that, um, you know, and it, and it strikes me with any artist, you have the, uh, the big danger is going stale, right. And, and getting kind of stuck in your ways. And, yeah. and you said something I think is very, very important is, is keeping track of and, and fostering relationships with, uh, younger brewers and figuring out innovations other people are doing and, and sort of getting re-energized by that. Was there some of those conversations and things you had this go around too? Yeah. For either of you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, getting established in my career. So um, for me, it was really about seeking out people that I have existing connections with, but also um, people that I've just heard of, you know, um, we always, um, uh, we, we have breweries that we admire um, because we think, you know, they're making great beer. And um, so seeking out people that work at those breweries and just um, connecting over uh, the desire to make great beer um, is always um, fun. 
And um, we were able to go out to a party at Rush, Russian River Brewing. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a really great spot to kind of do a lot of the more social um, connecting with brewers because you're actually watching beer being made, you know, touring this new, beautiful brewery. And um, it sparks a lot of um point discussion points, um, with people as you're kind of meandering through and, um, watching the different processes taking place in real time. So, so you guys went out to a party at, at Russian river and was this on a product like a production day or was it more of a mingling thing or, or how'd that go? Well, it was, uh, it was a Thursday night, I think which was the Friday morning was the last day of the conference. And there was more or less 600 people at this conference. And so Vinny and Natalie Claruso have a a new brewery they just built. Uh, I think it's probably only a couple years old. Maybe yeah, I think maybe two. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It's in. Uh, it's in Windsor, which is uh, north from their uh, original spot in Santa Rosa, um, and it's a beautiful brewery. And they're, uh, they I have a soft spot for them because they're a husband and wife team mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, like uh, Deb and I, and they're just such nice people. They're so welcoming and hospitable and so talented. And they built this beautiful new brewery with a, they have a, um, they, they have a, a, a restaurant and a, and a, and a bar. And so all 600 of us converged on this brewery and kind of took a self-guided tour. And you walk, we walked around the brewery and sort of like what we have at our brewery, because they actually, Natalie and Vidley came to our brewery and spent some time with us and, before they built their brewery and, you know, had the discussions of what would you do differently or what did you do right and try to get ideas. And they did that with, with some of other breweries too. So in a lot of ways, their, their self-guided tour is similar to ours. And along the tour route, they had finger food and, and draft tap beer and they give you a beer glass. And so everybody kind of walked around and commingled and talked and, and drank beer uh, Mm -hmm. from like six till nine at night. Uh, so, so we had a lot of fun and like, um, Sam said, it's kind of fun to, you know, talk to people about how they do, how they do things. Cause making beer, we all do it the same way, but we all do it differently. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So it's nice to, to taste a beer and say, well, how did you do this? And brewers are collaborative and generally not always, but generally, uh, when you're one-on-one, they'll, they'll tell you how they did what they did. Yeah. And, and that's always, uh, that's always something that very much so impresses me about, about brewers. I know. Uh, and when I was talking to, to Scott, um, the subject of when you guys were building Hilltop and already had this sort of came up and I know they were in a similar situation. They had their one brewery and they were building another one. And then, uh, the context that came up with Scott was, Oh, we didn't want to tell anybody which brewery the beer came from. Did they, did they have a similar thing in, in California? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, uh, they're making their flagship beer at, at, um, both breweries. Mm -hmm. And so for them, you know, it's such a quality focus, just like us. Um, they're picking apart, um, differences that probably don't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is funny when you talk, when you talk to brewers and you talk to any sort of creative people have to put something together. They're the ones that are going to obsess about the things that only they will notice because their audience it's certainly beer drinkers, but it's also other brewers who are going to drink their beer and, and will notice those, those sort of things. So, well, you, you know, you're right. But r- the reality of the situation is, is I agree hundred percent what you're saying that you have to be obsessed about your beer. But I find that often 
our customers are uh, better tasters than we are because if they drink, if they, if they're number one, they're, they're paying their hard earned money yeah. for the beer uh, out of pocket money. And they're drinking it every, more or less every day. They know exactly what it's supposed to taste like better than us. And uh, beer is like our children. And sometimes we might inadvertently or subconsciously forgive the sins of our children, mm-hmm. whereas other people might not. And so uh, the folks at Russian River had similar comments. And I've heard all brewers say that, that, that it's, 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 it's more about a fear of the customer saying something is wrong. I have a, I have a friend who um, uh, runs a, is a brewmaster in, in, uh, in Germany. He's American. And um, when he came to work at the brewery, his first day there, the, the locals were grumbling that the beer changed. But he hadn't brewed in yet. So uh, it's not only a real perception, but also a um, per- per- perceived uh, or, you know, a, a made up perception. Well, yeah, people in general are a little superstitious. Like whether they, they want to admit it or not, it's somewhere always playing in the back of your head. Like something sounds a little yeah. different. Here. And when there's an advertised difference, like we have two breweries, the temptation will always be there to be like, oh, well, you know. Back at Riverside. Yeah. Or change the color of your can or something. And then, well, it's, it's good to know that, uh, all, all of you guys have, uh, sort of this, the same sort of obsessions about, about these things. Yeah. We're all of the similar tribe. Well, I think we're sort of running up against it, but, uh, was there anything else you guys felt like we didn't cover about the hop conference or just, uh, a hop, uh, usage in general or anything like that? I'll just give a plug for that part of the country. I had never been to Northern California before, and I was able to get out to a redwood forest and take a nice run. And uh, it managed to be 70 and sunny there um, for the whole week. So um, if you've never been out that way, I would highly encourage it. (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, You know, we left here. It was cold. And uh, yeah, the sun was out at night. It was a horror of horrors in the 50s. and in the daytime, it was, you know, 60s and 70s and blue sky the whole time. But um, and, and I'm, I'm as some of you know, I'm I'm from Northern California. So it, it it feels like home. It smells like home. But Sam said, wow, you know, this is really nice. I could live here. <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, but then there's the traffic. And yeah. when you get into a bumper to bumper traffic uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're like, really, dude, I can hardly wait to get back home. I'll take the snow. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the snow and the open roadways. I 100% because traffic is obscene. And I guess I, I will just end uh, on seconding your uh, your comments that uh, Vinny and Natalie are some of the nicest people around because when I had the opportunity to meet them, they were entirely overly generous with me. And, and that was an amazing I told experience. them, I, your wife told me to mention that to them and I did. And actually, I brought you back a Pliny the Elder hat for your birthday. I just forgot to bring it to this uh, to this podcast. So. <laughs> well, I am officially stoked on that. So thank you guys for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Scott.